0: You are listening to an HD Smartcast original.
1: i Chalo. This could be a great intro.
2: Hi, I'm Akshay.
1: Hi, this is Saurabh, and you are listening to the Founder Thesis Podcast. We meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country
2: and we want to learn how to build a unicorn.
0: Hi everybody, this is Don Shingle, one of the co-founders at METAL. We started METAL in 2010. It's an HR tech SaaS company and we ran it for 8 plus years before in 2018 we got acquired by a Fortune 500 company called Mercer.
1: So imagine! that you are the recruitment manager in a large company like TCS or Infosys. You probably need to hire thousands of people each year. Till a couple of years back, this type of hiring used to be pretty manual, with applicants writing out tests, a panel evaluating the tests, and shortlisting people, and so on. Overall, this was a very painful experience for both the job seekers and the companies that are hiring. But thanks to startups like Metal, now the hiring process requires half the time and effort and has become 100 times more efficient. Today, Akshadad is speaking to Tonmoy Shingle, the man who digitized and transformed the business of assessments with his venture, MEDL. Even though Tonmoy belongs to Marwani business family in Kanpur, he had no ambitions of being an entrepreneur as a young man. Here's Tonmoy talking about his journey into adulthood after joining IIT Kanpur.
0: So IIT is like an extremely strong canvas where People who want to really go deeper into one space and really do academically stellar job. There is infrastructure and, you know, environment to do that. So I got to discover a lot about myself. Uh, One thing being that, you know, what are the right career areas for me to focus on, whether it is higher studies, whether it is, uh, let's say, uh, you know, doing a job right away. So those those things, you know, over a period of time became clearer uh, as I progressed. So, you know, uh, when uh, when I was in my third year, what became apparent to me that uh, pursuing business is something, you know, from an academic standpoint was something which was I was more inclined towards uh, instead of, let's say, pursuing engineering. So I, I thought maybe I'll, you know, do a job uh, somewhere uh, and then eventually after a couple of years, do my MBA and seek a business role. So this was this is how at least in my mental makeup things shaped up. And then uh, this was also 2002 as a year where I graduated. But this was a pretty bad year for the economy. I mean, you know, 9-11 had just happened. A lot of job offers were withdrawn, companies chose not to visit campuses and even at IIT Kanpur in that year you know only as low as 40 percent of the batch got placed the average salaries were abysmally low people were, were even willing to work for as low as seven eight thousand rupees a month back then so uh luckily I got through Texas Instruments it was it was a technical job it was as technical as it can get yeah, but but you know I, I thought it's a good pretty good uh place for me to park myself.
2: okay and uh, so what was uh your career there like
0: so i was initially hired as a design engineer into one of their uh, chip design teams uh, so text instruments is one of the iconic companies in the semiconductor space and their business is primarily to design and build chips so chips you know one of their divisions was wireless LAN, and this is again 2002 era where wireless LAN had gone through a couple of iterations of uh, you know getting productized and delivered but it was still not mainstream so in fact uh, my first project was uh, to work on the first centrino laptops which were being made in the market so which were wi-fi enabled laptops so we worked on, you know, I got to work with uh, some hundred plus uh, extremely smart, talented engineers who designed the first, let's say, Centrino laptop capability for, for TX instruments. So, our, you know, soon thereafter, I think Intel launched the Centrino laptop series and I was like, wow, this is something which I, I just, uh, you know, I it w- it just felt like unreal that like a month back I was working on something which... Seem like pretty obscure that something which we've worked on will hit the market, etc. But here we were just a few weeks or months later that uh, we had a product that we had worked on to work with and see it function and all of that. So it was it was quite incredible. So uh, then, you know, initially when you ha- uh, I was hired as a design engineer, my job was uh, typically to test the modules which were designed by other engineers. And I was focused on uh, the security 802.11i, which was all the cryptography and encryption modules, all the security built-in features in wireless line. And then I had a brainwave of uh, redesigning a module, which one of my colleagues was doing in a, in a much smarter way. Uh, so I thought, you know, we really don't need to design it in this way. And if we redesign it in some other way, then we can, you know, save a lot of cost and efficiency into the chip. Which is where, you know, even outside my, you know, core work area, I built a proposal. I really sat through it and designed how we can go about it and came out with a blueprint of if we redesigned this module in this way then uh, we could you know save let's say millions of dollars for the company and so i pre- presented the same to to our management and they were extremely well supportive and soon i was put you know in charge of that project and and then uh, in fact uh, got to also file for a us patent for for that effort
2: did this like put you on the fast track at texas
0: so that's a that's a good question, and that's a that's a tricky one. In fact, uh, so at at TI, then uh, while it was a very innovation-led company, it was, uh, and I I thought you know I've done a remarkable innovation. But I was among the 80 odd people who were hired in the same year mm-hmm. as I did. I was I think one of the last ones to get promoted when when the next the, the first promotion cycle came which was available for top 10 percentile of the cohort again i was skipped then yeah. the next cycle so i was then told that okay you know you did well but you know some people did better so next cycle came which i think was available for the bulk of 70 percent of the people again i was skipped. so so then you know uh, it was as if my world sort of fell fell apart. That, uh, if, and you know, among those eighty people, I, I don't think not more than two three people would have filed for patents or done some at least in at least in my definition such remarkable work. So till that time, I quite enjoyed. I also sought longer term career at Texas Instruments. Uh, there have been you know plethora of cases. You know, I was working with people who are like 15 years, 20 years, 30 years into the company. And uh, so TI seemed to be that kind of a company where once you join, you just continue there forever. But, you know, this thing sort of rocked my thought process and made me realize that, you know, my core goal was to do my MBA. So after three odd years at Texans when when this thing happened and in the interim, you know, I had given CAT, uh, not really hoping or focusing on it. But but somehow, with a stroke of luck, uh, I got a call from a few IAMs, including IAM Bangalore, which I did convert and which is what I I took up. So
2: how was the two year period at IAM Bangalore?
0: Oh, it was it was actually pretty remarkable. I, in fact... My, when, when I look back, so when, when I entered I Am Bangalore, I was already four years into the job. When I used to then look back at IT, IT seemed to be like like a lost opportunity for me. So when I used to reflect back at IT life, while it was pretty good, but I think nothing meaningful I could make out of uh, those four years. You know, so people who were focused on ACADs, a couple of my batchmates, they had come out with a new theorem. So in four years, when I completed my BTEC, they were already PhDs. And they have a theorem by their names. There were people who are doing stellar work at by doing masters, PhD. So I thought, you know, I need to be more purposeful when I enter I am Bangalore. And my purpose was, I defined my purpose that, you know, I need to do 80 20 CADs, which is, uh, focus 20% accades don't get carried away on accades on as much but deliver 80% of the results and spare bulk of my time for other activities just to be just to have a nice time and just to make it memorable and uh, in fact I am Bangalore time was quite quite incredible you know I sought an internship in investment banking i got an internship in jp morgan in new york then picked up the courses the way i wanted to and uh and yeah i mean in my second year i, I thought i should get some work opportunity with world bank so i i did apply to a ncr professor who was working on a you know critical project on world bank and uh, i timed it that uh, uh, with with my let's say exchange program when I was going to France and uh, and to my luck he accepted it was a paid internship and I got you know I got to work on critical world development uh, project of one of the. Uh, you know, on the technology sector. Then I thought that how would it be like working for a VC fund? Again, I applied. Uh, I got it. Uh, I worked for one of the top Indian VC funds. Then I thought I should work for one of the hedge funds to see how is it like working there. At IM Bangalore, I uh, I became IIM Bangalore's volleyball captain. I represented I'm Bangalore uh, at few places. You know, few other IMs. While it may it may not be you know a big thing. Uh, it's a small thing. But professionally, where I used to be, I really move much ahead in that dimension and uh so yeah i mean it was it was quite uh, quite incredible so on sports front on on internship and work front uh then i you know i applied for exchange program then you know got to travel quite a lot friends uh it was also quite enjoyable yeah i mean i couldn't have asked for more and then towards the end uh despite global banks lehman brothers and so many others uh, you know, because of the economic crisis falling down, I could get into uh, Boston Consulting Group uh, as, uh, which is one of the most ever top jobs. So at least those two years were sort of a fairy tale run for me.
2: So 2008, uh, you got into BCG, and uh, then how was uh, that experience like? So
0: BCG joining,
2: uh, you know, was
0: was it at an era which was. Are pretty troublesome economically and on top i joined boston consulting group uh, in belgium uh, now you know financial crisis in 2008 originated from the u.s but uh, back then basically u.s and europe were extremely well engulfed into the crisis. The day I landed in Belgium, I think in a week's time, one of the largest banks also uh, declared bankruptcy called ING. Uh, And uh, so it was, I think, bailed out. So economy was in a in a pretty troublesome time. Uh, I came from like emotional, sort of seemingly professional highs in the last two years. Uh, Eurozone was going through a negative economic growth uh, and uh, projects for companies, including BCG, were probably hard to come by. So I, I, uh, you know, after like just six months, in fact, less than six months of my being at BCG, uh, I was let go. And this was uh, in early 2009. Like what happens with any dream run, right? When you fall down, it's a steep fall. It is really sometimes backbreaking. So it was uh, a pretty steep fall. Uh, Jobs were pretty hard to come by. In the way the let go happened was pretty uh, unnerving for me. You know, on top, uh, I had sort of a... Uh, somebody I was, you know, going to get married to in an arranged marriage route. That also uh, fell apart. So there were
2: three- because you lost your job.
0: See, I, I wouldn't. I, I, don't know exactly. Unrelated. Okay. It could have been unrelated. I don't know exactly how this happened. So you know, we were, uh, we were only deciding the dates. Things were fixed, but finally it fell apart. Around the same time, I uh, broke my ligament uh, of my ankle, which is a third-degree ligament. So for another year, basically, I could not walk. Uh, and third, obviously, I lost my job. And, uh, and this was in the backdrop of uh, a financial crisis. Uh, so jobs were extremely hard to come by. While people did offer support that, let me help you find a job in Belgium itself. But then I, I thought uh, maybe it's, it's a good idea to come back to India and look for work. So for a good time, I... I applied, I started looking for jobs uh um, and i don't know if you have some recollection of that time but jobs were extremely hard to come by i mean uh for one opening there were like probably hundreds of applications i think these school graduates were pretty much available in access it and, and yeah i mean i stationed myself for some time in delhi in mumbai uh even elsewhere but all i could land up is at best is, is interviews with uh recruiters the placement consultants and not even you know getting a final interview call with Somebody, so uh, so it was you know, amidst the sort of emotional lows, health lows, and financial lows. So, this was sort of that time. And when things don't get going, uh, I think uh, uh it was a fairly sort of a downtime, it was a depressing time, at least you know, probably the lowest time, lowest point of my life. Uh, and which is where uh, you know, I got a lot of time to reflect back. Uh, on my myself and uh, my parents were also getting a little uh, worried because I was uh, being from a Marwadi family. You know, you there's a certain age you get married in, and, uh, and I was exceeding that. And you know, at a at a how time.
2: how old were you at this so time? 2000,
0: 2009, I was 29, and then you know, suddenly from a good dollar salary, one of the top jobs from college from. So to say in the, let's say, marriage market being a hot property to like a completely junk bond, which nobody wants to invest in. So the prospects that I, who I met back then, uh, the first conversation used to be, you know, what do you do? What is your salary? How much property? What is your bank balance? So, you know, it was was a good reckoning time for me to think about who am I and what exactly do I want and uh, what is it that I should be doing? And uh, back then, basically, I realized that, you know, I, I am from a Marwadi family. Somewhere being an entrepreneur, doing my own thing was the thing for me because it was not because of the love for money or financial success. It was because, probably, it, you know, being a Marwadi and an engineer, you wanted, let's say, an open space to express yourself creatively and your engineering mind into building something of value and repute. Uh, or some somebody, you know, somebody or some companies. I realized that probably what whatever objective function I was chasing was a plastic one for me. You know, trying to maximize money and financial gains in short term. If I may say, uh, attractive distractions. So because you know, if, if you like uh, imagining yourself that. You had to go to the airport to catch a flight. On the way, you get you see an amazing side where a lot of razzmatazz is happening. There's a there's some you know free booze, free party going on, and, and they say it, it'll be the time of your life. You will just come spend some time here. You know, back then when I joined BC. I chose to abandon my goal and join that attractive distraction. So it was not bad at all. But then,
2: but did you really have that goal to do your own business? I mean, was it really like a clear thing in your mind that yes? Or was it like, I mean, you know, 60% of people who pass out from college think that they want to do a business, but most of them have that as a like a faint goal and very few would actually have it as a strong goal. So what was the case with you? See, it's a good question.
0: And, uh, you know, the, the way I answered that for myself back then was I reflected back in my life that while at DI, there were, you know, automatically some startups I kept ideating on. In fact, I joined uh, in some sort of an advisory capacity to some software companies who were trying to build some basic software for manufacturing setups. So uh, so much so that, uh, you know, few of those people were staying in our own house and I was trying to help them in some way. Also back at IIM Bangalore, uh, I tried, you know, my hands at building something. So, you know, also a few of my role models uh, that I also reflected back, uh, they may not be financially super successful. So there was one super boss I had uh, called Mr. Tavi Karnat in Texas Instruments. So he's also, you know, from IIT Kanpur. And he also tried several of his uh, startups and uh, entrepreneurship during his career. So he was, you know, and I was pretty good friends with him. He seemed to be the go-to guy for any sort of discussion. While he was fairly senior up, But, you know, he was super approachable, one of our very different kind of uh, managers or Bosses or bosses, bosses, bosses. You could have. So I discussed with him. Also came out that he was financially not successful, etc. But he told me that how professionally and uh, fulfilling life he has had, and uh, he, you know, gave me uh, a view on that. You know, uh, a lot of times, you know, there there are no right or wrong decisions. Actually, what you do after taking a decision is what makes it right or wrong.
2: What did you attempt in Am Bangalore? I was attempting to build a
0: startup which looked at uh, power consumption so I, I felt that i felt that if we can optimize our power consumption and become a leader in that uh, we can also not just deploy this technology in india but even outside india so if if we look at it by 80, 20 rule 80% of the power being is could be consumed by 20% of the establishments even within those establishments there would be 20% of the you know gadgets and places where which will be guzzling huge amount of power. It's just that nobody probably would have looked at it from a critical sort of angle and looked at the choice of solution sets available and how to go about it.
2: This was just an idea or did you actually like try to implement but decided, okay, uh, not right now?
0: I think I I was only doing it because uh, probably I had a keen interest like a hobbyist, hobbies plus approach with sight of the shore in mind. So while I want to swim in the open ocean, but I always chose to swim with shore nearby that I have a fallback option. I thought, you know, with BCG's job gone and things being hard to come by, uh, you know, what is it exactly that I want? So I, I felt that uh, probably, you know, joining organized corporates is not something which suits my skill set and uh, my ability to really make any mark there is uh, next to impossible. Also, from a productivity standpoint, I mean, typically any the organization they work slowly. There, there would be a lot of engineered work which is not you just doing that work not from by producing something or making anything efficient. In fact, I and I read this quote that ships are safe in a harbor, but that's not what ships are made for. So, and that quote had a pretty strong impact on me and my decision making so uh, you know I'd, at that time uh, when I was getting more time to reflect and without any job and no job in the site I said you know who am I I mean yes I did IIT Kanpur I came I graduated from I am Bangalore do I have the potential or do I need to be in the backdrop of a top-notch name like a BCG or a Microsoft to make a mark for myself I mean I I thought that you know if my what am I chasing is it money but you know then thought about whether what will I do with this money whether do I want to sport a Lamborghini do I want to own a house at you know Malabar Hill or what is that exactly I'm trying to chase so it seemed that whatever I wanted in life is not money-led goals so then I thought you know then what is it I'm chasing I mean am, am I trying to be relevant by using Microsoft or I T or that you know you just side by top brand names uh, I realized that if if I indeed have uh, really some skill and talent then I should be able to do it even without any of these and uh, and that is what you know uh, I realized this is my focus is my goal that I, I don't need money I don't need to be relevant I'm okay dying poor I'm okay if I meet you know my alumni group after 20 years and everybody is sporting a Lamborghini and you know mansions and palaces while I stay in a you know in a rented pretty average place. I realized that I I could you know hold that conversation uh, without being embarrassed about it provided I chase and do something which I really wanted to do and uh, when I turn 55 when I look back to my life whether or not I had money at least I would be satisfied that every day of my life I'm doing something which I really really wanted to do that, be it playing sports, be it whatever. So that sort of gave me that courage. So I, I thought, you know, what kind of a ship am I? Am I the ship who's supposed to be in the docks, you know, will really be trying to party and enjoy and host, let's say become a restaurant, become a museum, or should I am I meant for sailing the high seas I amid, amidst these storms and maybe eventually get battered and bruised? In, in the process so you know I, I summarized all this all these flashes of experiences wisdom altogether and defined for myself that this is what i really want i want uh i'm not driven by money i'm not driven by fame or uh, designation i really want to start something and that is a great canvas which will where i can apply myself to create something useful and meaningful for for the society i mean either for consumers or for businesses to do something which uh, which is a real challenge. Business problem.
2: So, how did you end up starting Metal and uh, tell me about uh, your co founder as well?
0: Metal basically happened in 2009, mid when we started. We were known as Industrial Training Services Private Limited. So, we started as a training company. So, we thought that what you know, they have been a big mushroom of tier two, tier three colleges both in technology and the business and other discipline side which have come up uh, in india in the last four to five years and uh, while industry was growing pretty healthily, industry needed top quality and trained graduates but then what uh, were being produced by these tier two and below schools was were not adequate uh, so while students needed jobs industry needed to hire trained skilled people but then somehow uh, there's some divide there's some gap which needs to be fulfilled and the current academic setup is probably not able to do that so we thought we'll build industry linked trainings for these college graduates we started with B-School training. So we picked up some top six, seven, eight hot industries where they were the most bulk of the jobs. And we interfaced with the industry experts identifying what skill areas would they like B-School graduates to be having. And so we defined and designed those trainings to deliver it to those colleges. We thought either... So who is, uh, who is we here? Who all were there with you doing this? So I started uh, with uh, a friend in industrial training, Service Private Limited. Her name is Vandita. She is... Uh, wife of one of my uh, closest friends called Ketan, who who is my eventual co-founder at Metal. So Vandita and I, Vandita was running her own food startup. She was also interested in education. She had good connects in the education space i i knew them for for the longest time and so uh while i was looking for a job i interfaced extensively with them i we shared common goal of doing something in the education space we built this plan we realized that there could be a pretty reasonable market opportunity uh we we thought that we'll you know uh, start deploying these trainings physically for now so having a physical industry expert going and delivering these trainings then eventually make them online and remote completely so something what uh, probably upgrad or simplify pre-learn uh, is doing today you know we built good quality trainings uh, start selling it to
2: colleges but uh, after how did you uh, do the sales uh, i mean i imagine sales would be like the toughest thing to get a business started to, to get the revenue flowing in
0: so our motivation to do sales i think back then was that we did not have this realization that how tough sales would be to do and uh, i've been always a student of logic and rationality it seemed that whatever is rationally correct should have Happen. So I had sort of a little bit of disconnection with the rest of the world or the, the way the world functions. So your
2: mindset was,
0: if the product is good, people will buy it. You know, why won't people take a training or buy a training when they're paying several lakhs to a B-school, right, just for hanging around there without learning any job. If I'm getting them really top-notch industry experts to uh, deliver trainings in industries which are pretty hot uh, with, who are recruiting, so why won't colleges or students buy it? And so, you know, we, we would make Uh, at least maybe 100 200 trips to from Gurgaon to Greater Noida to the B-School hub we just got uh, one sale done
2: Uh, which college was it
0: this this was called Sharda University so this came uh, surprisingly pretty early but none of the other colleges you know took the bike and we were they kept making us go round and round in circles that come some other time so then we realized that eventually that this is not working or this is not flying after like you know running it for 8 to 9 months we you were in terms of our commercial traction right where we were in our first week. So surprisingly, in the first week itself, we got Sharda University done. But then, you know, let's say after one year of trying to sell hard to various different colleges, uh, I remember going to Allahabad. Uh, I remember going to several, you know, making several trips to Hyderabad. And but no sale came by. I mean, there was zero, completely zero traction. And uh, colleges said, you you get jobs to me. I mean, I don't care about training. So that sort of thing sort of failed our business and around that time we started getting several requests for that hey you while you're saying you do trainings can you do assessments instead because this is what we are interested in and uh, we start getting a few companies to say that uh, we are we'll be keen to hire people from any university or any college provided you can assess the candidates and give it to us can i use some of your assessments and which is where uh, we pulled in Ketan, my other co-founder which is who's Vandita's husband and uh, one of my college mentors Naveen Naveen Tiwari who's the founder of InMobi Naveen has been a great support and help all throughout our metal journey and so we pulled him in and we ideated on that this is at least not working out uh, what can we do next so based on our conversations with companies our own experiences in companies you know, while I was at TI, while I was at BCG, while Keitan was with other companies of different size and scale and industries, we felt that, you know, the the company's ability to really hire and define what exactly is required in the successful candidate is very, very broken. So when I was at TI, I was just sometimes pulled into interviewing people. I had no idea what to ask them. And, And TI was a pretty matured, robust company in different processes. So we we felt that, you know, there has to be some science behind assessing people and uh, which is cur- currently either in academics and can we pull that out and offer it as a product to companies through assessments and again you know Naveen brought his own perspective that a lot of education is happening online right assessments will begin to soon follow uh so when people are get, fine getting educated online so they should be also fine getting assessed online so we felt that that there is for various different consumer needs there are systems and platforms so if somebody wants to watch a video there's a youtube if somebody wants to have email set up there are several platforms available but assessment which will for humanity emerge like a big need for 7 billion people we assess that there'll be at least 100 billion odd annual assessment situations so we as students young professionals have to go through either a lot of practice tests you know, high-stake tests for various needs and uh, purposes. Uh, And the the number could be as high as 100 billion. But there's no de facto system to host and provide uh, a digital infrastructure to conduct these tests. So we thought that we can create a super great technology system to do assessments. And so this is mid, late mid 2010, which is when, you know, we realized that it is now a very technical product so that, that's when we started metal we thought that what youtube is for videos we want to be for assessments. so anywhere globally any, anyone wants to use assessment and have a system to do assessments should come to metal and that's how basically metal started
2: how did you get the revenue going in the new avatar then
0: oh yeah so this this is a, a, another complex thing so i would say we were extremely naive to look at assessments as a consumer solution so when we started metal we were like what youtube is for videos metal is for assessments but we realized that you know YouTube is a very consumer product people primarily watch it for passive learning and entertainment and uh not like assessment so not like that and while it may seem extremely commonsensical at this moment but back then we were like very stupid to think of metal as a consumer product but that is how we started we raised some capital
2: how did you how did you raise capital with I mean you know without any kind of MVP or anything like that? Like, How did that happen? So
0: again, I would say my life is a series and string of serendipitous events. This also being one where we, we uh, went to some of our family and friends uh, and they were pretty kind enough we had a, a business plan which was completely in shambles. You know, we made some maybe 15-20 pitches to our friends or family members who were in, a, in some capacity to invest. And uh, luckily, there were six people who, who were, who chose to buy it into our story. And uh, in fact, uh, I'm still pretty cordial in, in touch with them, all of them. And when I meet them, ask them, why make we invest in that? So, you know, a lot of people were very frank. They're in fact, friends, college, you know, batchmates. They said. न, so we chose not to look at your plan. It was completely shitty. We just invested in you guys. I mean, we felt that you you guys are smart, intelligent, ethical people. You when you are focused on something, at least hard work and ability should not be a reason why you will not be able to do anything in that.
2: And how much
0: did you raise? So we we raised uh, around 50 lakh rupees back then,
2: and this you used to develop the product.
0: So yeah, with that because both Ketan and I we had a issue, personal issue that we were both like non-technical, and uh, so none of us could code at least post MBA, and uh, so we had to hire a few engineers. Uh, so you know because this new focus of metal was a it's a technical system first come so we needed to hire engineers to build a product and uh, which is basically what this money was used on but but again you know this only could help us uh, make some basic mvp of sorts in place not the revenue so revenue eluded us even after building the first version of the product uh, again you know soon thereafter we made the mvp we met Ventures uh, founders in fact they had just set up their fund around that time. I remember meeting Sanjay and Karthik, calling them to Park Plaza in Kurga. And uh, our office was very close by into a basement. So, while Sanjay and Karthik, they were insisting, you guys please come to, please let us come to your office. But there was no washroom in the office. I mean, we felt that maybe it's a, it's not a wise idea to call them there because it's it's a dysfunctional setup. I mean, being having a washroom is important. Then we did not have it. So, called those guys. They insisted that we want to really see your office so we took them there and then you know they liked us Uh, they soon thereafter committed an initial seed round
2: what what did they commit to they committed to the b2c business plan so they
0: definitely felt a need this is a growing Upcoming need and there is no one de facto system, so there's an a wide space. There's an opportunity for for a company to become one. After raising the first angel round and then this seed commitment came by in seven eight months. So this was early two thousand eleven, and they committed around 1.6 1.7 crores. Uh, and then you know somebody told us that uh, there's an eminent uh, psychometrician by the name of Dr Singh, Dr Puranjay Singh in India, who's just come back from the US. So we we reached out to him as well on LinkedIn just randomly and surprisingly he also was very keen to invest in, in metal. So along with Bloom and Dr. Puranja Singh, we stitched up a seed round and uh, early 2011 is when we got a fresh cash injection in the company. Again, you know, we stayed in, in on course of metal being a system for consumers so we toyed with the idea of can educators come on the system and build assessments, can we preload some assessments, we talk to some Publishers, we, whatever assessments are there at the back of your books, etc., can they be made online? But then, you know, Moocs were a big thing then. Reached out to them if they can integrate with us for the assessment. So, you know, we kept thinking that you know, wherever assessments should be are needed to be used can we power those assessments so in the quest we built a pretty feature rich robust stable assessment system
2: so oh, what what you built was the engine but not the content assets and by content i mean the actual tests
0: absolutely so yeah i mean we tried with various channels with various types of players, educators, education companies, but then even, you know, HR, uh, HRs of corporates. So they said, you know, we really like, this. I think it's pretty feature rich and this is what we want. So, uh, but we, we want assessments. We don't want the assessment system. So th- this is, you know, a classical issue of a product market fit, where you go to market with a, with an assumption about a product that would be there. Again, there's no, let's say no voice clearly, which tells you that this is not a great product market fit and you you know you'll start hearing voices you you start hearing things like hey we don't have this requirement today come back after one month after five months uh there may be some fake assurances some initial good conversations but not leading to anywhere and they're just getting elongated so that's where we sort of built the entire conviction about that exactly what is going on and uh, uh, you know at least i realized that this is not a really good market to be in so from where we were, which is what YouTube is for videos, we've met will be for assessments. We changed it to that we want to be the survey monkey for assessments. So we realized that the consumer side, at least in our business, is not required because people all by themselves will not like to come and take assessment. Once you have people who built assessments, there may be some takers of assessments, which typically people who built those assessments will engineer them themselves. Again, we you know started a quest on going to educators and see if they could start using our system while all this ex- these experiments and iterations kept happening the one constant thing kept happening is money every month became lesser and lesser and lesser
2: what was your uh, headcount like by this time by 2011 when you were pivoting from b2c to b2b so uh, i would say we were
0: around 15 to 20 between 15 to 20 around that time
2: and these were mostly software developers or you also had salespeople. people so
0: 70 80 percent were all software There were one ops person one more salesperson. So so we kept focused there, but we realized that we'll soon run out, run out of funding. And uh, that's when we realized uh, to begin a fresh series around race. Although... Uh, you know we started clocking some bit of revenue we we cracked a couple of deals with uh, cognizant and few other
2: larger companies okay. so by this time you started creating uh, a test also
0: yes so in the quest for business you know we started doing discussions with require in requirements which we used to earlier say no to so we started taking these projects so we imagined that you know the market of assessment is like a highway you know in the context of good now let's say it's NHA. let's say if i'm stationed somewhere in sector 50 i want to run my car with 50 kilometers per hour or 80 kilometers per hour but internal roads are not letting me do that uh, i need to somewhere reach nh8 and if there is current infrastructure doesn't lead you there do you yourself have to build it so either you know the market is like that that you know companies are willing to create their own assessments and th- so those roads are built where you could reach that highway then you can be on your own and you know define that this is exactly what i'll do but if not then you will have to build the roads you will have to facilitate that business by doing extra bits so just by making nh8 with no connection doesn't mean cars will start running on build the internal roads to let the cars get feeded into the highway so that was the analogy or we thought that we need to let by building these additional work you know services or service packets to facilitate business coming to us So that led to cognizant closing. We were close talks with Wipro, few other companies and we. And that that was an opportune time for us to also start raising more capital uh, and also thinking, rethinking about our own business that what exactly, you know, at least Survey Monkey for assessments is also not working out. So then, you know, we reimagined ourselves as a HR tech SaaS system because we needed extremely strong assessment capabilities on our system because these companies who are looking to use assessments and get the benefit out of it don't want to make It it is also a technically challenging exercise to do it. When you start your company, you may be at, let's say, 10,000 feet high in the sky and you may see your market as a very homogeneous market. The the lower you go down and the more clearer you get pictured about. I mean, it, it may start looking the same homogeneous market, may start emerging out as different categories of markets with different, distinctly different requirements. One realization came is that you can't change the way what market wants. You can only serve... That what market wants. So, uh, which is where you know we got to assess or uh, what different customer and product feedbacks from different customer categories we were getting, and to define where are the def- well-defined market where we could garner more revenue and go deeper and build expertise and start selling more actively. We incorporated all that in our business plan, switched it to a few funds. Uh, is when kalari gave us a term sheet. Although you know, just before that we went through our own crisis. So two of the top technology folks the, the senior most and the second senior most second senior most was also uh, one of my juniors from IIT Kanpur and uh, the senior most was our CTO back then from IT Delhi so they on the same day uh, quit uh, giving us like 15 days notice so you know i think it was again a while we were constantly trying to reinvent ourselves uh this is the last thing we wanted uh and we were actively looking to raise uh, money uh so it was also a big jolt into our plans and money was soon running out. We pitched to several funds. Uh, we got several no's. We got few yeses. In fact, just two yeses. Alari was one of them. So we met Vani. Vani quite liked us. We could enthuse her with our plan. And she could see, you know, this, this is a distinct, definite need of the market. So, you know, at least what I have what realized is... Uh, in the VC space in India, there are two types of people or two types of decision makers. One are people who are professionals in the VC industry who are either bankers and consultants who enter this, this space and uh, they're like trained professionals. So, you know, their characteristics are distinctly different from entrepreneur-led VCs. The difference is one, I think the realization, the, the intuition of where there's business and where there is not. So typically an entrepreneur-led VC, you know, they go by a gut call, whether there is a business there's this a real market need or not? Wherein a lot of professional-led VCs like to get data and a lot of more validation, etc. You know, these are relatively small spaces, untracked spaces, and it is very difficult to furnish any sort of data. So we, we got into so many conversations with potential VCs back then. A lot of them, all of them said no, but Vani being an entrepreneur at VC, she, she by her gut, realized that this is uh, indeed a market, investable market, and she liked us. And finally, the term sheet came by. Again, we were running, uh, we were running behind time because due diligence was going on. We didn't want to showcase any weakness. So that there's no sort of back negotiation with us on the on the deal terms. Uh, but the money was fast running out. So again, out of serendipity, somehow we were able to uh, get the money wired in like two days before the final salary day. When we were, we wouldn't be able to honor the salary commitments. I again, mean, It was a pretty stressful times. Uh, you know, again, also because two of our extremely key members left on one single day. And again, money was hard to come by. So finally, yeah, <laughs> it was a, a serendipitous moment. And uh, Uh, We got a very welcomed message from the HDFC bank that there is a new credit to your account. uh, We could keep counting the zeros and it just felt very, very surreal and unreal.
2: How much did uh, did you raise in that round? So we,
0: back then we raised uh, uh, $4 million, but that dollar was 55 rupees. And uh, which year was this? This is 2012 mid.
2: Okay. So then what happened after?
0: So uh, again, you know, 2012, mid, when the money came, we could professionally build, you know, larger teams. We could have a much bigger tech team. We started hiring more salespeople. We started uh, hiring, uh, you know, more marketing people, ops people. But uh, again, you know, every space sort of plays differently so there were certain revenue projections which are fairly steep we thought we should be able to achieve them again the market understanding market dynamics of relatively markets which are being formed is something you know comes only experientially Uh, so the more you think about that this should be a rational decision but actually it is not in so many cases so we thought that this is a great chosen market for us but we realized over time that you know hr is a back-end function it's a cost function it's a function which not too many companies like to invest too much on and traditionally maybe the decision makers take time take their own sweet time to make decisions budgets are tight uh, there is a lot of scope for negotiation and then also we experienced uh, credible competitors uh, who started coming to our market so there were two companies uh, you know notably aspiring minds and uh, O cubes which which started with doing something else okay and uh, in fact there was potential synergies and partnership possibilities with them because we were a pure pure play B2B company to provide assessments and they were Consumer-focused to help colleges, college students getting placed. Assessing them was one of the you know many steps they used to do. So, uh, so you know the 12 post-12 era post-raising funding, we tried to build our market. We also started talking to CoCubes, for example, to partner with them. But then you know they they were also contemplating to enter our market, and therefore we were also tempted to enter their market. And I think this is one of the best or most important strategic uh, moments for us. Uh, so while they were, you know, reasonably well established in their own market, we both Ketan and I we, we looked at the potential impending strong competitors who could, who could, who are already reasonably successful in their own markets and could flow that capital back to our own market.
2: What was CoCubes' market, and how was it different from your market?
0: So CoCubes and Aspiring Minds uh, were primarily a consumer company. Their primary purpose was to help college students getting placed. And assessment or pre-assessment was one of the tools.
2: So they took a per-student charge. That was their revenue model. Yes, yes. They
0: facilitated companies to come digitally to the campuses, do a talk, you know, upload notes, maybe do chat sessions. They were, I think, number one and number two players in that field. We were, we chose to be a B2B company primarily, and we were tempted to see if we should play in that market. But uh, what happened was uh, both Ketan and I, we studied that market deeply. We realized that aspiring mines and co were, uh, as companies, old, older than metal. And they had, let's say, number one, number two positions. We realized that, the whole market opportunity itself was not very large. Let's say that if there are five lakh students who are graduating out from meaningful tier two, tier three B schools and and tech schools in India, all you could all you could let's say charge to them is maybe up to even a thousand rupees. It's a fifty crore market opportunity in the consumer space where you know it is so costly to do customer acquisition reach out to the customers these companies were already doing I think eight to ten crores back then uh, annual top line they had tough time in maintaining their own revenues and it did not make sense for us to really enter this market in because even if we had a magical power and we moved the magic band and we win this market all we could become is a at best a top 50 crore company you know it didn't seem very exciting at all and you know we chose to to be a pure play b2b company and build our business grounds up you know this also became one of our selling points that uh, we are a very neutral b2b only company because for companies who are sensitive about the quality of people that are coming, we provide just the tools and technology which is best in class to do that intelligence bit, and we don't have any incentive, any other side to get students placed
2: pushing one college over another.
0: You know, when we raised our series A in two thousand twelve, we were we did uh, you know maybe less than eighty thousand dollars as our top line at a fifty five rupee dollar, and then uh, then uh, we did while we grew the business, I think. Uh, uh, by three times maybe three three and a half times a subsequent year and again three times the year later uh, but we were far away from our projections uh, and we were thinking you know what are we doing wrong we therefore then reached out to several of the experts uh in in companies in the, in the industries with with the uh, related to internet for example we met some nokia experts uh, let's say if you know you look at India and if a product company has been successful in you know uh, delivering a sizable business it has been mocky.com so we reached out to them to their experts uh, to understand how they have scaled their operations their business and uh, you know we we got quite intrigued by their approach and how they used to scale up their sales effort how they you know do an account based uh, mapping and and uh, they they used to sort of look at The entire market, which was India, uh, as let's say buckets of revenues. So let's say you imagine a map of India, which was, which had let's say in the first year five buckets of revenue, which is you you say Delhi is one bucket and Mumbai is one bucket and top top cities, top five cities are five buckets. The subsequent year they'll split it into two or whatever three. That now Delhi has become three buckets, so Delhi will become Delhi. Separate NOIDA, yes. And so, you know, appropriately, such division will happen in Mumbai. Maybe they'll split the accounts by that this is account management team, this is net new team. Uh, so they, they started, you know, that approach really was... Pretty intriguing and insightful for, for us. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, we did one of these two things, uh, both of these two things. So one is we, we also started looking at our market in the same way that uh, we started mapping what these revenue centers in India are like. And how we can subsequently, every few cycles of revenue, we can divide that into and create newer buckets and put, you know, suitable people in them with the right accountability and responsibility to fill that bucket with, you know, more revenue.
2: So uh, tell me about the uh, international ramp-up strategy. Like, how did you go global?
0: So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, while we chose to stay in the HR tech space, And in the edtech space to sell a high-stake assessment platform. But, you know, what we realized eventually is that the market size of India is limited. And we couldn't become a billion-dollar company just by focusing on India because it's a B2B market in India's nascent and small at least for our product category and uh, so you know quickly in hunger of you know expansion and because of some positive signs in 2014 from the US uh, when we cracked our first 600 or 1000 dollar deal from the US we thought that maybe what whatever effort we are doing in in india is uh, if it is focused on the US then we could garner maybe 10x more revenue or more with same or even less effort so 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 we, we you know uh, while it was difficult to get a 20 lakh check from cognizant and it required 10x more effort but signing a 600 thousand dollar deal from a no name company unnamed company in the u.s was possible to do it on phone and that sort of excited us and we cycled it back to the board they were also excited they <laughs> said that you know u.s is like by far a 100x bigger market and we need to set it up uh, invested one close to a million dollar in the u.s we have we set up a, a U.S. entity. We hired some U.S. local people, so we ran that office for like a year. You know, you, you know how U.S. people are fairly expensive. Maintaining an office with people's health insurance and you know service severance packages are pretty expensive. So you know, for our uh, to to our surprise, negatively. You know, the entire close to a year of effort in the US uh, by doing enough amount of also marketing, which was palatable for a company of our, you know, pockets and size. Uh, still, there was absolutely no commercial traction in the US. So nothing trickled down to anything revenue. So
2: this was like the Sharda case all over again. <laughs> this was, yes, this was the
0: Sharda University. 2.0 uh, and uh, but the Sharda the, how it was different from Sharda universities it was Sharda University 200.0 because it drained a million dollar into an already financially struggling company right and we had to honor and meet a lot of commercial and severance uh, commitments and uh, so we out of let's say 4 million dollars we raised we lost a million there with zero top line impact and so we had to shut down the US office and relook at the whiteboard that we were running out of money and uh, and so we reached out to funds see if you know we can get a top up we can raise some new round of funding this is uh, 14 15 time frame and uh, quickly we realized that there was you know minuscule to negative interest to fund the space anymore and uh, we we quickly realized that we need to be completely on our own so either uh, we plan to shut down or uh, or we need to reinvent ourselves because there will not be any external injection of funding so that that is where you know both Ketan and I with 8 odd months of runway left uh, we started focusing on the bare essentials on just scaling up the revenue bit what it takes and cutting down everything uh, which was not business additive so all our decisions you know used to be like this feature hai, ye, is customer ko fayda hoga tech ke bande ko fayda hoga ops ke ko fayda hoga a lot of so that is you know these tough moments sort of made you realize the you you, you Get an opportunity to really brush up your sharpness and get focusing on things and the only things that matter. So that is when, you know, we built the US, stopped the US plan completely, stopped all the flab which was there in the company in the sense that we were spending a lot of money in marketing uh, of the tune of $40,000 at its peak a month. And uh, the number of leads generated by marketing uh, was, you know, was adding up to the business of, I think, just $1,000 or maybe even less. So we just completely, whatever discretionary spends were there, like PR firms, et cetera, We just slashed all that. We, you know, made the participation in events zero. So... And we focused uh, completely on, let's say, very sharp lead-gen-based marketing, which is extremely measurable. 2 rupees, just say, 10 rupees, 5 rupees. So, uh, again, this is where the realization of how to look at sales, by uh, understanding the knockree.com model came by.
2: Yeah, knockree also doesn't spend much on marketing.
0: Right, right. We we also became extremely frugal into marketing. So from a forty thousand dollars, we had scaled our cost base to around eight seven to eight thousand uh, dollars. And uh which was primarily only salary cost of a few people. And uh then yeah, I mean we started doing the sales experiment with quick iterations and we deployed wherever things were working and rolled back features and experiments where it was it was they were like quick small startup experiments within the metal umbrella. Uh to try and toy with newer business avenues. So we focused every energy, every part of the company into just one focus area, which was to grow metal, to grow the assessment space. And uh, and I think those, you know, this was the turning point of metal with, you know, in fourteen fifteen, doing our top line of seven odd crores with a cost base of eighteen nineteen crores. The year after we tripled our revenue by slightly reducing our cost. This was also a time when, you know, one of our extremely hustling key members said, who was a part of the ops team, said, "Enough is enough. I'm not going to work anymore. And either I do sales or I do nothing, and I'm out." So it was a tough call to let a you know ops guy do sales, a stellar ops guy. Uh, so, but we again took that ex- did that experiment, and he did not, you know, uh, make us repent that a bit. And uh, very soon we we could, you know. Uh, start garnering more and more business. And again, we deployed more marketing dollars there. It also started bearing more fruits. We set up a pretty reasonable size inside sales team. And then very soon, we started having maybe 1,500 to 2,000 customers uh, from outside India, from 80 odd countries.
2: So why did you, uh, when you were a company making enough money that you didn't need funding, why did you agree to get acquired? What what was that? What was the thinking behind that?
0: See, it's a it's a very good and a tough question. And so uh, we realized that you know from let's say three to five years and beyond, like, let's say four years and beyond, we will start seeing stagnation. It could come even earlier because of the recession. And therefore, uh, you know, this is something which uh, from our long term continuity perspective may not be very attractive. So we realized that uh, can we become a you know a hundred million dollar company? Probably yes. Uh, in terms of uh, can can we? So we we were doing already ten million dollars of top line then. Can we become a twenty thirty million dollar company? Probably yes. But can we become a sixty seventy eighty million dollar company? Little questionable right we we need to somewhere reinvent something uh, market forces were not right and here there was a pretty systemically pretty good offer on the table so we felt uh, that yes i mean this has a lot of merit it also gives us an ability to reset our lives so there has been a work you know work based fatigue being in a startup and through its roller coaster journey, it's always uh, you know uh, a tough work setting. So
2: what what do you see the next twenty years like for you?
0: But I, I think my calling is is to do is I'm I'm a ship who's made to sail the high seas is is what I've realized and uh, I'm just you know I've just come out of a battered voyage where completely bruised, broken down, and and I found a small treasure. I can spend it to repair myself, do a bit of merry making, but my calling has to be back to the ICs again. So, uh, I mean, what it means to me is to start again, and uh, this time around, obviously, as long as the end state is same, whether I have started or somebody else has started, doesn't matter. But yeah, I would like to join, uh, or be a part of a startup who's doing some incredible stuff, and, uh, and play some, you know, some interesting role there. So yeah
1: that was Thonmoy talking about his journey of scaling up and eventually exiting from metal. If you think you have an idea for a tech startup that would intrigue him, then write to us at hello at the and we'll get you a chance to pitch your business idea to Thonmoy. The Founder Thesis Podcast is a production of thepodium.in. Subscribe to this show on your favorite podcasting app. And next week, here from Hari Krishnan talking about how he built great learning into one of India's largest tech companies. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in. That is, T H E P O D. I-U-N for a complete list of all our shows.
2: This was an HD Smartcast original. HD
1: Smartcast. Log on to hdsmartcast.com to listen to more such podcasts.